we were in this series called Misfit Heroes, and we are looking at people in the Bible, misfits, we call them misfits, I believe anybody that's in the Bible is really a misfit, um, but because most of them are not perfect, God never really chose the perfect person to use. Um, personally, because there's no such thing as a perfect person, but he didn't choose the person that we would all look at and go, ah, that's the one that, that God should use. He typically, if, if it was like, hey, that's the one God should use, God's like, mm, okay, we're going to use that one over there. And so we're looking at their lives, and we're looking at what can we learn, because it's not good enough. I don't want y'all just to learn stuff. I think that, that that's part of the problem with church, is that we just expect y'all to know things. You know, know certain scriptures, know certain things, have some type of intellectual, spiritual thought process, but not how to apply it to your lives. And can I tell you that there is far more value in applying simple truths than being able to articulate deep thoughts, Okay, I would rather somebody be able to say, I understand the grace of God and how it, it, it pertains to my life, rather than be able to break down Old Testament hermeneutics in, in a, you know, eloquent way. Some of you, I just lost you with a whole bunch of words, okay? But that's, that's kind of always been my thought process when it comes to the Bible. So today, my, my message, the title of my message is called, When Faithfulness Turns Fearful. When Faithfulness Turns Fearful. Ever had this thought, I got this? I mean, anybody, anybody uh, ever, ever come to a circumstance you're like, I got this? You know, that, that confident feeling, mm, today's my day, I got this. And, uh, and you feel good until you face something that makes you start to think, maybe I don't got this. You know those, those moments where you're like, you go into something confident and then you start walking out of it going, oh, oh God. Oh, I don't got this. This is not what I thought. Oh, man. And, and I feel like a lot of times when we come to circumstances, a lot of times we, we are expecting a certain thing or we, we expect a certain result, and when it doesn't, we start to fall apart. Emotionally, we fall apart. Spiritually, and we start to, to not trust the things that God is trying to tell us. So today what I want to talk about is where faith is faced with a fearful circumstance. What happens to our faith when we're faced with fearful, hard circumstances? Because far more often than not, we're gonna have these moments in life where we are challenged with things in our life that we don't know how to handle on our own, and if we don't have a relationship with God to lean into, we are gonna be struggled to figure out what our next step is. So here's the thing. Here's what I want you to understand about faith today. Faith is not faith if circumstances can make it fail. I want that to sink in for a moment. Faith is not faith if circumstances can make it fail. If, if what you are walking through can make your faith fail. Not, listen, uh, let me define this a minute. Because doubt is not the opposite of faith. Doubt is a healthy aspect of our faith growing. I think so many times in, in, in church or just in the church world, we go, oh, if you're doubting, that's, oh, you're not a good Christian. Peter had faith to step out on the water, but doubted in the middle of it. You know, there's so many, Gideon didn't even, couldn't even believe that he was worthy of being used by God. He kept trying to argue with him. Well, God, okay, you know what? I'll believe it's you if you do this. And then when God would do it, he'd go, well, you know what? I'll, I'll, I'll believe you, God, if you do the opposite now. Like he, God had to prove himself to Gideon. 
Abraham argued with him. And so did Moses. Moses sat there and goes, oh God, I can't be used by you. <laughs> Sorry. Pick somebody else. I, I don't speak well. They say Moses probably had a stutter. You know, could you imagine going be, before like the king, the pharaoh? And you're like, pharaoh? No, God, don't use me. Let me stand in the background and just. And so many times, God uses the person that we didn't think about. And it's not that they didn't have doubts, because so many times throughout the Bible, that's why they're misfits, is they questioned whether God should use them. It wasn't the doubts that, that ever disqualify somebody. It's the walking away from the faith in the moments of hard circumstances. So faith is not faith if circumstances cannot, can make it fail. Bad or hard circumstances make faith in God show out. This, this is what I truly believe, that, that in those hard moments, when we lean into God in those hard moments, when we lean into God in those struggle times, when we lean into God in those circumstances that we don't know how we're going to make it out, when we lean into God and into his word and into his people because people are important, amen? When we lean into them, that's when God is allowed to show out. It's that faith that says, God, I don't know, I don't have a way out, but I know you do. I don't, I don't have it all together, but God, I know that you have the answer. God, I, I don't have the power within myself, but that's the power of your name. See, bad circumstances make faith in God show out. That is when faith is most evident. And that is when misfits have their best moments. See, faith is not about getting to the mountaintop. It's about the, the faith in the valley, that, that, that shadowy death place that makes the mountaintop so valuable. Good moments are good moments because we walk through something that allows us to champion those moments. And so I'm not gonna talk about just one group of people today. I wanna give you a two for, a two for one, okay? I'm giving you, I, I'm not even charging you for the second one, okay? I'm just giving you two misfit groups today. So the first one, that I wanna, I wanna explore, and we're gonna look at these two, and then we're gonna, I'm gonna give you some points, and then we're gonna go home. Amen? I've been telling people, I've been, I've been, reset, I've been second guessing my, my whole life this afternoon. It is so stinking humid out there. And I told my wife, I'm gonna go out and I'm gonna do yard work tomorrow. What was wrong with me? God, ugh. So I'm, I'm second guessing my whole life moments in this morning. I just want to let you know. But the first, it's funny because we're complaining about hot. My first group of people that I want to talk about is Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. Okay? And, and, and there's a reason why. And we, we've, uh, listen, I, I don't want to say we've heard the story, but most of us have heard the story. If you've never heard the story, it's about three guys, and, and you know, a lot of times they get their names really messed up. Okay? Uh, a lot of people like to say uh, other stuff instead of Abednego. Okay, it's really, it's like my last name. They look at Bodenhammer, they want to get German all of a sudden. Okay, they look at uh, Abednego and they, I don't know, they start adding all sorts of letters into his name. But there's, to give you kind of a backstory of these three is that they were exiled with Daniel. Okay, so, so uh, the, 
one country came in and they took over the Jewish country and they took and they took all of the healthy, young, good-looking guys and they took them away from their families and they brought them back and they, and they started to teach them and indoctrinate them into the ways of their lifestyle, okay? So, so King Nebuchadnezzar, he, he takes Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and a whole bunch of other people and he starts to redoctrinate them into their way of life. But the problem is, is that Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego all had this, this already solid faith in God. And so they weren't going to pull away from what they already knew. But I want you to think about this for a moment, okay? Imagine being somewhere between 14 and probably early 20s and being ripped from everything you know, the culture that you know, the family that you know. Could you imagine being ripped away from them and you're never going to see them again? You're going to be raised in a foreign land under foreign leadership. I mean, it's crazy. It's crazy to think about. This is what they were walking through. And in the midst of this, in the midst of already a tough circumstances, they are being solid followers of God. They're serving in a kingdom that is not their king with with a religion that is not theirs. And yet, they found favor in that country and underneath that leadership. King Nebuchadnezzar found uh, favor with Daniel, with Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, gave them all levels of authority that, uh, that a lot of people didn't like because they were foreigners and they were, they were slaves in essence. And a lot of people had it out for those four. And you get to this story that we are uh, accustomed to hearing in church about uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and the, the fiery furnace. It's, and, and here's the thing, is that the, the reason why I believe that they found favor is because they were willing to put their faith on display. It, it's because they were willing to say, we're not going to shy away from, even though this is your culture, and even though this is your religion, and even though you want us to believe all of this, we're not going to shy away from the things that have made us who we are. Now, I, I could parallel this very easily to the life and, and, and the time that we're living in when a lot of people are telling us that, that if we would just fold into, if we would just believe with them, if we, if we don't even have to be vocal about it, just not be vocal about God or vocal about our beliefs. If you would just go with the flow and go with everybody else, then you know what? Maybe you would be liked more. Maybe people wouldn't be, you know, this, that, or the other. And, and the reality is, is that we find favor with God when we are willing to hold on to our faith. And so we're going to look at a couple of uh, sections of uh, Scripture in Daniel that kind of set up this story, right? So Daniel 3, 16 through 18. It says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar. Now, here's the deal. So little, so you kind of know where we're at in the story. King Nebuchadnezzar builds this 90-foot golden statue of himself. He really thinks highly of himself, okay? And he says, listen, when the worship team plays, when the band plays, everybody bows down. Band gets ready, trumpets, leers, all these great things. You know, then, then, the, then the music plays, everybody bows down. Bows down, worships this golden statue of King, ne- King Nebuchadnezzar, except for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They don't bow. Now, here's the funny part in the story, and this is where my brain always goes to when I read this, is there was other people that didn't bow because they saw them three not bow. Right? Because it says that, that others saw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego not bow. Well, here's the thing. It's really hard to see somebody when your eyes are here. You can't see somebody when your eyes are here. So the same people that turned him in were not bowing as well. They, they, didn't, they, they weren't going to call themselves out. They saw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego not bowing. And so they take him before the king, and they say, King, hey, um, your three boys, yeah, they didn't bow. King Nebuchadnezzar's like, oh, what do you mean you didn't bow? 
You gotta bow. I'm king. I proclaimed it. Bow. I'm gonna give you a second chance. I'm gonna give, I'm gonna, we're gonna strike up the band again and we're gonna let you three get on the same page as everybody else. And, uh, and, and they go on to tell him, like, we're not gonna bow. And he gets really, really mad. So here's, here, this is right after they're saying they're not gonna bow. Daniel 3, 16 through 18. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. Can you imagine telling a king that? If we are thrown into this blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. You know, a king probably doesn't take that very well, saying that some other king is gonna save them even though that king's got this nice furnace going for him. He says, listen, our God is gonna save us and he's gonna, he's gonna do, do well and he's gonna save us from your power and your majesty. But listen, this is what I love about them. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue that you have set up. So here these guys are, they're saying, listen, our God is able to do whatever he wants. Our God is able to save and deliver. Our, our God is able to, 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 to make miracles happen. But even if he doesn't, we're not gonna turn and serve other gods because we know the true God. We've experienced his real grace. We've experienced his real hand in our lives. Now you jump just a couple verses down to 321. It says this. <laughs> this is the outcome of them getting real bold in front of the king. So they tied them up and threw them into the furnace. But God, you're supposed to save your people. How many times in church have you heard, I am blessed and highly favored. I am the head and not the tail. Which sounds really great. These, 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 you know, uh, or, or the ones in Romans, you know, uh, for I am more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. How'd that work for, for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? See, here's the thing. We can quote a whole lot of out-of-context out of scripture, but it's not our will be done. It's God's will. And that's the whole, like, dichotomy of this, you know, power and grace and, and struggle of circumstances is that God... Whether I live or whether I die isn't the, isn't the de, uh, determining factor in having a, a valuable and amazing life. It's whether I serve and love and am willing to be faithful to my God. So, so they tied him up and they threw him into the furnace, fully dressed in their pants, their turbans, robes, and other garments. And because the king, in his anger, had demanded such a hot fire in the furnace, the flames killed the soldiers as they threw the three men in. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, securely tied, fell into the roaring flames. But suddenly, Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement and exclaimed to his advisors, didn't we tie up three men and throw them into the furnace? Yes, your majesty, we certainly did, they replied. Look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted, I see four men unbound walking around in the fire unharmed, and the fourth looks like a god. Then Nebuchadnezzar came as, as close as he could to the door of the flaming furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. And so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stepped out of the fire. And the story goes on to say that the king is so impressed and so in awe of, of this God that they serve that he makes a decree that the only God that should be worshipped in the land is the, uh, the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So that's story one. We got this, this interesting picture of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, here's the second one, the story of Stephen, okay? Stephen is a little less known in the Bible, okay? Stephen's got um, uh, a few blurbs and two chapters in the book of Acts. 
Uh, and, and really where this came about is in Acts 6, uh, there is the main group of apostles. There's uh, 11 of them. Well, 12 because I uh, believe it was Bartholomew that came in with them. And, and so they're like, hey, look, we're overworked. And ministry has always been overworked since then. Okay, and they're like, we're overworked. And those pastors, you only work on Sunday, come on. Um, and so, it's, that's a joke, you can laugh, it's okay. I get it all the time. So what do you do as a pastor? Nothing, I just preach on Sundays. Um, but uh, but they, they're overworked and they're feeling like, oh man, uh, Rodney's always needing me. And you know, oh, Blake, who's not even in town, like he's constantly calling and texting like, no pastor, I need you. And we're just overworked. So he says, here's the deal. So, so we need help. So he calls all of the, the, uh, the leaders together. And he says, here's the deal. We need you to pick seven leaders amongst you to, to help us out in serving the community and feeding and, and, and putting hands to faith. And so it picks up in Acts 6 uh, where they pick these men. And it says this, Acts 6, 3 through 5. It says, and so, brothers, select seven men who are well-respected and are full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will give them this responsibility. Then we apostles can spend our time in prayer and teaching the word. Everyone liked the idea, and they chose the following. And Stephen is the first one that is described, and it says, Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. And then it says, common, and then it lists uh, six other names, and that's all. They just list their names. It's interesting that they list six names, but with Stephen, they list a description of his character. They say he is a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. So then you bump down uh, a few more verses, Acts 6, 8 through 10. It says this, Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed amazing miracles and signs among the people. But one day, some men from the synagogue of free slaves, as it was called, started to debate with him. And they were Jews from Cyrene, Alexandria, Sicilia, and the province of Asia. And none of them could stand up against the wisdom and the spirit which, uh, with which Stephen spoke. So here's a picture. Stephen's picked to, to serve in the church as a leader. And he goes out and he starts doing all these great things. He's, he's in his community, man. He's out there. He's rocking. And he's like, hey, you know, I want to I show God's love everywhere I go. If I go to Walmart, I'm going to show God's love. When I go to work, I'm going to show God's love. I'm going I'm to do, you need prayer? I'm going to pray for you. And like miracles were happening. And, and, and then these, these guys, from, these Jewish guys from the synagogue were like, oh, pfft, he's a Gentile. We got this. So they debate him. They're like, let's talk about God. And it says that they couldn't match. Now, mind you, Gentiles, they didn't study the word of God like the Jewish people did. And yet his knowledge of the scripture, they couldn't even combat. It says that they, uh, they couldn't stand against the wisdom and the spirit with which Stephen spoke. So it goes on to, through uh, uh, chapter 6 uh, that he was accused by liars about his teaching. They were saying that he was uh, teaching blasphemous teachings, that he was lying about who God was and lying about his character and his nature. And so he goes before the council, which is, you know, it'd be like going before elders in a church. Now, that could mean nothing to anybody here because we don't really operate in those, you know, and even if you have elders at your church, they, they don't have the same kind of powers they did back then. Like they could punish you in jail back then. Like, I don't want that kind of power, right? No, I, I don't want to be able to punish you for any, like that's outside of the spectrum of, I, want, I, I, I love the type of leadership I have right now. Um, so he goes before this council and they're like, they're accusing him of how he's teaching. And he completely roasts them. I mean, like puts them to shame. He goes on this whole diatribe of the old, like he breaks down the Old Testament almost from beginning to end in detail. 
and just like speaks truth after truth after truth, like describes Moses, describes, and then he gets to the very end, and they, you know, they can't really argue Old Testament theology because it's just reading of what the, the word said, but then he gets the, to the point, he's like, hey, all of, I said all of this to let you know that you guys are wrong. Uh-oh. Like, you could have gone without that. And, and, he, and he sits there and says, you guys are, 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 like, pretty much like, you guys are horrible leaders that don't understand the truth. You don't get it. You are missing the point of what it means to be a good leader. And they lose it. And what turns the environment is when he starts to get in their business and he starts to call them out. And here's the thing. I really believe this, that, that you can speak truth and not offend people. I, I hear people all the time say, oh, you know, well, when you speak truth, it offends people. I don't think truth offends people. I really don't. I think when truth offends people is when I get into your own little pocket. So uh, we're going to talk about this subject. And you're like, hmm. oh, really? Why? Because it hits home. When a truth hits home, all of a sudden you've got two choices. You can repent if you're not living right and turn to God, or you can build up a wall and be angry. Wow. Well, okay, whatever. What about this sin with so-and-so? <laughs> like, no, I'm not talking about, I'm talking about, and, and Stephen's like, listen, I'm talking about your leadership right now. And so Acts, he, he does this from Acts 6 all the way into Acts 7, and here's, the, here's, here's where it really gets in. This is like, they just, they lose their stuff right here, right? And he says, uh, Acts 7.56, it says, and he told them, Stephen told them, the council, look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. And they lose their stuff. Stephen starts to worship God in the midst of their, uh, their, their moment. And he starts to have this amazing experience with God. And he's looking up. He's like, I see God. And I see Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. And they're like, ah. It says they covered their ears, started screaming, and dragged him out into the streets. Okay? And they drag him out to the streets to take his life. So if you look at Acts 7, 59 through 60, and this is the end of these two stories, says, as they stoned him. So they pull him out and they, listen, I've, to, I've talked about what it means to be, uh, to stone somebody back in the day, and they still do it today, by the way. We just don't ever see it. By the way, don't look it up. It's horrible. It will give you nightmares. Um, I've watched um, I've watched it. Let's just put it that way, okay? And, and they don't pick up little rocks. They pick up gigantic boulders and they throw them at people's heads until they die. And so they drag Stephen out and it says, as they stoned him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he fell to his knees shouting. And here's the most amazing, beautiful line that I think anybody could ever utter in the middle of these kind of circumstances. Lord, don't charge them with this sin. And with that, he died. So I want to talk about faith, and I want to talk about these two in particular stories and what these um, two different stories represent in our faith walk. And so the first thing I want us to recognize is that faith doesn't bow. In both scenarios, they were given an option to change their, st their story. Listen, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, if you would just bow at this stupid statue, Life will be good. If you, if you would just, listen, 30 seconds of bowing to some fake little statue isn't going to harm you. It's not worth the fire. It's not worth the pain. It's not worth the struggle of people not liking you. And you definitely don't want the king not to like you. So come on, stop being 
you know, and bow. Faith doesn't bow. None of these men bowed to the desires of their confronters. Stephen could have easily said, you know, hey, look, I'm sorry if, if we've gotten twisted on, on, on theology thoughts. And you know what? Cool, cool, cool. You do you. I'm going to do me. I'm just going to go somewhere else. But instead, he, he, he goes, you think I'm teaching wrong? Here's what I'm teaching. And he literally told the whole story of the Old Testament. And then he says, you guys are wrong. You guys are fake. You guys are fronters. That doesn't go well when people think they've got power. And then he says, I see, God, I see Jesus at the right hand of the Father. And they just lost. They went ape over that. They were like, oh, my gosh. They start screaming and yelling. And, and they drag him out, and they, and they stone him. But here's the thing is that faith doesn't bow at the hard circumstances, at the circumstances that if I, you know what, if I just, if I'm just quiet about my faith, it's not even that I'm denying it. I'm just going to live my life and somebody asks me, oh yeah, I'm gone. But I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm never going to do anything that causes a stir. I'm never going to, I'm never going to step out and listen, there's, there's a difference between being antagonistic in your faith and being bold in your faith. You shouldn't be antagonistic. In other words, you shouldn't go out looking to, to start fights <laughs> like I used to. I used to, that's, that was me as a young Christian. I was like, let's go. We're going to argue the Bible, the very little that I know about it, okay? We're going to argue. And, and I would, I would look for fights. And oh man, I remember one day we were sitting in my math class and uh, I was talking to this Mormon kid in my high school. And let me tell you something, Mormons know the book, <laughs> Even their book, like they know their book really well, but they know the Bible really well too. And boy, like they can twist it real, like to get you real frustrated. Like I was, um, and I did not have like an even killed temper back then. And so he was like, la, 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 la. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to reach across here and slap you. Um, so instead I just got really mad and like started to argue with him. And my math teacher, who was a Christian, he was the Christian club uh, leader. Like, I was the president. He was the, the, my faculty. And he pulled me aside afterward. He goes, bro, I thought you were going to die. And I'm like, why? He goes, your face was red. There was, like, veins popping out of your forehead. I'm like, no, there wasn't. He goes, bro, yes, there was. And I'm like, and I realized that I, being antagonistic in my faith didn't get me anywhere other than a bad example to everyone around me. Being bold in my faith means I'm going to speak the truth and I'm going to leave it to God to mend the heart of people. It's not my job to, to get you to believe something. It's my job to present the truth and leave it there for God to use. And the Bible calls it watering the seeds, right? We, we may plant seeds. Somebody else may water. I may, I may in, uh, interact with somebody that Sky sees next week. And, and because I said something, and she says something about, you know, hey, we should come to church. Oh, what church? Oh, Freedom Church. Oh, I met that pastor. Okay, cool. And she starts to speak a little bit into their life and, and pours a little more water. And it may be five years down the road before somebody gets watered to the point where they will walk inside of a church. Our job isn't to change people. Our job is to give them the chance to experience God, to be bold in our faith and to be bold. And so it means not backing down when the, when the circumstance arises that we don't fear because of our faith. Your faith might get you in more tight spots than it will get you out of. Because <laughs> that's not what you hear in church a lot of times. Oh, your faith will, will secure you. It will provide for you. It will get, listen, I'm gonna be honest with you. Your faith, if you truly live it out, may get you in more tight spots than it'll get you out of. Because when asked to, to speak on what you believe, and you believe and you speak from a biblical perspective, it may cause people to go, what? You don't believe like the rest of us? Well, no. 
because my faith says otherwise. But here's the thing. Are you willing to stand your ground for God in a loving, grace-filled way with the purpose to lead others to Jesus? It does no good to win an argument if you lose a soul. It does no good to walk away and go, I spoke the truth, but you push somebody away. And so there's a way of doing it in a loving and caring and gentle way, being filled with grace that will show them God's goodness and go, hmm, I may not believe, agree, but I'm willing, I'm, I'm intrigued. See, you go back to the, the powerful words of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when they were talking to the king. They should have never talked to the king that way. And they say, they say, listen, they tell the king, they say, listen, if we're thrown into the blazing furnace, then the God whom we serve is able to save us, and he will rescue us from your power and your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we're okay. It will never change. See, your faith doesn't bow. Your faith has to be bold enough to stand up in the circumstances when it is going to be challenged. What is it, where are the circumstances where, and I I believe we've all had them, where we've had the opportunity to speak about our faith and speak about the God we love and these moments in our life, and we've gotten nervous or scared because we're afraid of what people might think or how they will respond. And it's okay. It's okay to have mistakes. It's okay to, oh man, I wish I would have owned, but here's the thing. I hope that they encourage you to the next time go, I'm going to have the boldness not to bow. Can I tell you, like, right now, one of the hardest things, and I'll talk a little bit, uh, I'll just wait. I'll just wait. I won't get ahead of myself. The second thing that I want you to understand about faith is that faith worships over fear. Faith worships over fear. Think about some of the lyrics that we sing in some of these songs. Like, I would encourage you, not just, you know, if you ever just listen to worship music on on Spotify, I love it, because now they've added, like, the whole little lyric section for a lot of them. And so you can pull the lyrics up, and you can read along as it's singing. And there are some really powerfully dynamic words in these these, uh, songs. And I was was actually challenged one time by a worship leader uh, in in a uh, conference-type thing, a, a service that I was in with him. And he was a worship leader for a big church and down in Arizona. And he said this, he says, if... You don't believe the words that you're singing, you're lying to God. And I was like, wow. I was like, man. I mean, it just hit me. Like, it was like a Mack truck just ran through the church and just like ran me over. Because I was like, whoa. Because we think, oh, I've got to sing the words because it's church and my mouth isn't moving. The worship leader's going to think that I'm a heathen. What's worse? Singing lyrics to a song you don't believe or processing them. What, what does that mean? I, we don't do this song, and I, and I think we need to uh, enter it into our, uh, our set list at some point, but the, the song Oceans, which was outplayed like you know forever for a while, which is probably why I don't do it, but it's got some powerful words. I love the line in that song where it says, Spirit lead me where my trust is without borders. What a a dynamic prayer. God, let your spirit lead me where I don't have any requirements of you other than you be you in my life. Do we believe the lyrics that we're singing and allowing them? Because here's the thing. When worship becomes real, fear has no uh, uh, option in, in, in life. When worship becomes real in our lives, and not just music, but, but a, an attitude of our life, man, we can face life with a different like, environment and atmosphere and attitude 
than we ever have. A.W. Tozer, which is one of my favorites, uh, authors, he says this, if you will not worship God seven days a week, you will not worship him one day a week. <laughs> he threw no punches. If you're not, listen, if, 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 if worship to God isn't seven days a week, then what we do on Sundays is just song and dance. Darlene Sheck, the used to be the leader, uh, worship leader for Hillsong uh, Church back in the late or the '90s, early 2000s. She said this: that what you do in church should only be five percent of what you do of worship outside of church. And it always just a challenge that that I, I want to make worship an, a lifestyle, not just a, a thing that we do with song and music and lyrics and all that, but it's a lifestyle. And when you look at it, that's what worship really is. The Bible says that worship is, yes, it is music. Music is involved in this, but worship is far deeper than the music that we sing. And that's why when faith uh, has worship, it will conquer the fear. Romans 12, 1 through 2 in the, the Passion Translation says this, beloved friends, what should be our proper response to God's marvelous mercies? So if you've ever, ever wondered what your response to God should be for what he's done in your life, this tells you right here, right now. It's like, the Bible is not a mystery. It's, it's probably why I like Jesus because he tries to make it as simple as he can. He says, what is the proper response to God's marvelous mercies in our life? To surrender yourself to God, to be his sacred and living sacrifices. And live in holiness, experiencing all that delights his heart. For this becomes your genuine expression of what? Of worship. And then verse 2 says this. Stop imitating the ideals and opinions of the culture around you, but be inwardly transformed by the Holy Spirit through a total reformation of how you think. This will empower you to discern God's will as you live a beautiful life, satisfying and perfect in his eyes. So worship is the catalyst to overcome things in our life. Not, and not just a song, not just, not just a lyric, but a lifestyle. It's when it's in me that I want, to, I want to please God. Like how I go to work, I want to please God with that. How I interact with people, I want God to be pleased with that. The sacrifices that I make in my life, I want God to be pleased with it. It's not perfect. It is striving for perfection. There's a massive difference. Because striving for perfection, as the Bible calls it, means I'm giving you opportunity to realize you're human. You're going to make mistakes. Listen, you're going to get mad. I know, none of you in this room. It's just me. Okay? You're going to get mad. You're probably going to say something that you'll regret. You're probably going to have to apologize. Ask for forgiveness. All these things that we all hate to do. But the reality is, is that worship is that, that train that says, I am trying to live my life in a way that pleases God and I live sacrificially for his glory. And when we learn that faith, when interacted with worship, overcomes fear, think about it. What was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's response to being thrown in the fire? Oh God, where are we? We're in a fire. We know that. It says, wait a minute. We tied them up. Now there's a fourth one in there. What's going on here? It's like a magic trick. Wait, they're unbound. I really want to believe that they were worshiping in the fire. What was Stephen's response to being dragged out and stoned in the middle of everybody? So he looks up to heaven and he worships his God. See, in the middle of your circumstance, if you don't let your circumstance overcome you, but you allow God to interact with you, things will be different. The circumstance may not be different. Your 
outlook, your perspective of the circumstance changes. You go, okay, God, I can do this. I can walk through this. I can, I can, you know what? Bills are tight. I can walk through this. God, I trust you with my finances. You know what? I'm having some relationship struggles, but God, I'm going to pray and I'm going to say, God, I put my relationships in your hand. And so, you know what, God, I believe that you are the God of mending and healing relationships. God, I have a hard time with addictions to certain things. And so God, I believe that your word says that you are a healer and that you are a, a, a God that believes in wholeness. And so I, I, I give you the struggles of my life and I hand them over to you and I say, God, do what you would want. And so I, I release my fears and my worries and my struggles and I worship a God that is real and true and it will change the perspective. It doesn't always change the circumstance. Worship is the catalyst to seeing faith overcome our circumstances. The next thing that we need to understand about faith is this, is that it's countercultural. And this is where I can step into some areas that gets a little... Romans 12, 2 says not to, be, not to be conformed by the word, but be transformed in the renewing of the mind connected to Jesus. So I wrote this down last, yesterday or Friday when I was studying. Their opinion doesn't matter. Your opinion matters very little. And God's truth takes priority. And if you can remember this as you were setting up your personal belief system, I think it'll help you out. What will they think? I don't care. Their opinion doesn't matter. But we're friends. You should care what I think. Your opinion matters very little. What do you think? My opinion matters very little. And the reality is is that when I say that I'm a believer of Christ, that my life is then founded on a, on a aspect of what does the Bible say, right? So when, when we say he's my Lord, it means that he has the right to say whatever he wants, and I, I learn to understand it. Right now, we've got uh, in the political realm, we've got a lot of things going around. And I think the church has been a little silent on this, um, honestly, Oh, I forgot the caps. <laughs> We're going to set this down there. It was bugging me because it's not centered. Sorry. There we go. Um, we have to understand this. The church's job is not to be culturally relevant. We have to understand this. A church that is culturally relevant, that is willing to change the truth to be liked, is not a church and will not be something that God is pleased in. The the harshness of it is this, is that they will make us sound like evil people for what we believe. But I believe that when spoken with grace and with love and when we understand truth, that we're able to sit down and we may not be able to turn everybody over to our side, but we may be able to speak of the truth in a way that we are not demonizing the other side, which is so key. Can I say this just from, from a pastor's heart? It is so key not to demonize people that don't agree with you. So key. Well, pastor, and I've had this a lot since we, because we came from California, so I guess, uh, I don't know, take it what it is. I've had a, for some reason, I've had a lot of people ask, so what's your thoughts on homosexuality? Like, because I came from California, like, I've got this weird view of it, I, I don't understand. 
I can tell you what the Bible, because here's, once again, what, what did I just say? My opinion matters very little. God's truth matters everything. So what does God's truth say about subjects like that? I should do a whole message uh, on, on topics that are hard to speak of on in church. Because I think the problem is, is that as believers, we're not armed with truth in a way to share it lovingly. Because, yes, cut and dry, if, if we're just cut and dry, homosexuality is a sin. But guess what? So is premarital sex. So, so is, you know, let's use overeating. Gluttony, it's a sin. Matter of fact, you know what's funny that I find, and I'm gonna get on my little soapbox. I guess I should get up here if I'm gonna get on a soapbox. But if I'm gonna get on a soapbox and, and talk about sin, and when we really truly understand it, when the Bible, when, when the New Testament church starts talking about sin, it, it wasn't homosexual this and abortion that and this and that. They, you know, we think of the big thing, oh, murder and this. Like, listen, the gossiper will be in hell with all of them. <laughs> Some of us need to get right because we're gonna be finding ourselves next to them. But we don't want to, listen, why don't we want to talk about gossip? Oh, because that hits your home. Pastor, you don't understand. I believe the murder is a sin. Man should marry a woman. And that life is sacred. Yeah, but you're willing to talk about your, your best friend's wife and how you don't agree with her. The Bible says that's wrong. So if, if we really want to go there, if you really want me to preach hellfire and damnation, you really don't. I promise you, you don't. Because I'm going to get all up in your kitchen, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start cooking with your utensils, and you're not going to like me. But when we understand the truth that it is not counter, it is not culturally relevant, it is always countercultural. Jesus never came to be liked by those in power. Ever. It is why I don't get persuaded on every new political and cultural trend and thought because I know to whom I belong. Abortion is big because of the leaked social, uh, um, uh, Supreme Court thing. Life is sacred. I, I can't make it any more clear. I don't care what your view is on why. Life is sacred to me. But listen, if I go at somebody who, how, how great is it if I go after somebody who's had an abortion and I tell them that they're a horrible person? How, how does that win anybody to Jesus? What about I meet them where their need is at and they go, I'm sorry that you had to walk through such a trying time in your life where you thought that the only way out was to, to, to do that. And I want you to know as the church, we're standing behind you and we love you. I didn't tell her that I agreed with her. And listen, this is important. I want you to, here's, here's a very big key on all of this. Know what you're talking about. I Googled it. Shut up. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's not very pastorly. <sighs> know what you're talking about. For the love of God, be educated in something. Nothing worse than a Bible-beaten Christian that doesn't actually understand what they're talking about. Understand God's truth, but be able to articulate the reason why. Because I can stand up here and say, I've read case note after case note, study after study, non-Christian polling that said that 85% of women that have had an abortion have said it because it's of convenience and has nothing to do with anything else. 85%. I'll give you another one just to kind of have in your, your back pocket for this one. And it's not, it's not to cause argument, it's to cause uh, conversation. The biggest thing that, that, uh, that a lot of politicians will sit there and say is this, is that, well, what about, you know, there's never any outs for incest or rape. It's one and a half percent. 
One and a half percent is what we're talking about. So we're willing to, the biggest amount of murders in American history ever is through abortion. It's, 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 it's literally the taking of a life. It's literally saying that their life doesn't matter. And I'm sorry if I, if I believe that that is wrong. I'm sorry if, if you think that, that, that I, I will stand on that ground and I will, I will beat that drum all day long because I believe that every life matters. But here's what I also believe, church, that we need to make sure it matters once they come out of the womb. We can't just fight for the abortion clinic to be shut down and not care about the mom, the single mom who's got three kids and, and no dad that's willing to step up and go, well, at least you had your babies. See, the truth says that we come along those people and we, and we do life with them and we, we encourage them and we care for them and we're, we're there for them. That's the follow-up to that conversation that doesn't get shared in church a lot. But faith is countercultural. We got to know what we're talking about. We got to know the spirit in which we're going to say it. And we got to know the truth of the word in which it is said. I'm coming to a close with genuine faith changes people. There's a lot of Christian, a lot of people that, that use the word Christian in their title, but they don't actually impact people. Matter of fact, I think there's a lot of people that use the word Christian in their title and they actually run people away from church. And our goal is to be this, this, this loving and kind and caring people that says, hey, we're a bunch of misfits. Join us. We don't have it all together, but we're trusting in a God who does. Hey, listen, I have my bad days too where I don't want to get out of bed, but you know what? I'm trusting in God, and, I, and, I, and, I, and I'm leaning into his word, and I'm trusting in his power to walk me through this life. Nobody would have made a big deal if those three boys didn't bow, if they would have just bowed down. But when they didn't, it changed the world. Nobody would have given a second thought if you go with the cultural flow, but when you lovingly, filled with faith and knowledge, go against the cultural norms, it changes people. Why don't you believe that? Let me tell you. Why do you believe that, that, that life is sacred? Well, let me tell you, because my, my God says this, but I've also backed it up with science. Another big lie about uh, conception of life, just so that you know, I've done my studying on this. Um, Harvard, not really known for its Christian background. Well, I guess way back in the day it did. Modern day Harvard, not so much. Biologists in Harvard has a, uh, it's either Harvard or one of those fancy schools. I've now forgotten, but I read the whole, uh, there's big words in there that I didn't understand. But the, the core grasp of this whole thesis that she put out, and which is published is that they understand that the beginning of life actually begins when inception happens. This is not news to the science world, just to the political world. Because if politics says that life begins when the little sperm guy hits the egg, all hell will break loose. Because everything that we believe politically gets turned up on, on its uh, side down. But the reality is that the science has said, we already know this. We don't argue this with anything else other than humans. We say there's life on Mars because there's a floating organism somewhere. And yet a baby in a womb isn't. It has nothing to do with women's choice. I want you to hear that. It has to do with life. 
There's a whole nother, and I won't get on it. Maybe I'll preach a, oh, Lord Jesus, help me. Maybe I will never, I will probably never preach a message on women's rights because I'm not ever going to go there. Just, you've got them, just like I do. Uh, <laughs> my, I hope my wife will hit me if I ever say I'm going to preach on that. Uh, there's some topics that don't need to be <laughs> handled with, by me. Um, so here's the thing. You look at the end of these stories. Acts 8.1 says this. Saul was one of the witnesses. Saul was Paul. Later, change his name. It says Saul was a, was a witness of Stephen's death. Matter of fact, it says that he was the, uh, the coat hanger, the coat carrier for those that threw the stones. And he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. The apostle Paul, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, agreed with the killing of Stephen. A great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem, and all of the believers except the apostles were scattered throughout the region of Judea and Samaria. Let me end with this thought. Let me bring it kind of full circle on how Jesus works. What did Jesus say in, in the book of Acts, Acts 1-8? He said, you will be my witness to Jerusalem, to Judea, and Samaria. You know what happened is the church got comfortable in Jerusalem. The church was like, hey, we kind of like this. We're getting, getting kind of big. We, we're doing our thing. It wasn't until persecution came that the church scattered and took its faith to Judea and Samaria. Listen, sometimes hard circumstances will cause our faith to grow and go somewhere else. It'll be birthed into somebody else. We'll, we'll carry it along. We'll, we'll have a Timothy like Paul did, and we'll, we'll go and we'll branch out into different areas of our life when we have hard circumstances. Your misfit faith, your power-living faith, your growing closer faith will cause the gospel to spread when it's some of the hardest seasons in your life because people will look at you and go, what is different about you? Let me tell you. I love this guy named Jesus. And he's radically changed my life. Saul was there, and when he converted, converted to Christianity, I believe it was the faith of Stephen that helped him live in a manner of which he did. It's funny that that's the same Paul that later when he writes, when, when, when written in the, in the book of Acts and Peter and all them, it says the, in Acts 17, 6, it says this, but when they did not find them, they dragged Jason some dude named Jason, poor guy, and some brethren to the rulers of the city crying out, those who have turned the world upside down have come here too. Can I, if I could say anything as a pastor, I would hope that it would be this, that our church would have faith, that when people think of us, they go, their faith turned the world upside down. But it has nothing to do with what, how much the church will do as a, as a church. Like every time we go out, oh, Freedom Church is helping out with this. or free. Listen, no, no, no. It's, it's, it's when Sean is out with his kids and people go, man, he's different. But he's not like, I don't know. And then he starts speaking. You're like, that dude loves Jesus. It, it, it's, it's when you teachers are with your students and, and you respond a certain way. Or you have parent-teacher conference, which I'm sure you absolutely love. And you love them parents right where they're at. Parents, it's, it's when we want to respond to our kids a certain way and 
we, we shoot up that prayer to Jesus saying, Jesus, take the will. So I'm about to crash the car with a minute. See, it's in those moments when faith becomes evident. It's when you're looking at your bills and you're going, God, how do I pay these? He says, do you trust me? I do. Okay, then let's just continue to do this. Don't get freaked out. Don't get stressed out. Don't allow the, don't allow the circumstance to outweigh the goodness of God. Faith's got you. Doesn't change the, I can't stress this enough. Faith will not change, will give you a boldness to live. It will change people's lives. It may be countercultural, but guess what? It will be the greatest joy that you will ever walk because you are putting worship instead of in front of fear. And as we pray out, that's kind of the point, is that faith has different stories. What God does for one, he doesn't have to do for others. Rodney could pray and a miracle could happen. I could pray and nothing could happen. See, see, we can't just pigeonhole God into saying, well, God, you're the God of miracles. What if the miracle is in the word no? But God, I need this. And he's going, no, you don't. You really don't. I'm telling you, you don't. If you get it, you're not going to like it. Because we like to use those scriptures, right? I'm an overcomer. But what if being an overcomer looks like failing at times? What, what if an overcomer looks like you're, you're getting beat down sometimes? Stephen didn't look like he was victorious because he died. But literally up until the very end, he was worshiping God and saying, God, you got this. His last lines on earth where Jesus forgive them of this. Listen, what? There's some things that I, I look, I read in the Bible and I go, God, I, I just don't know if I'm there yet. I don't know if I have that kind of faith yet. Because if somebody's throwing rocks at me, I'm probably trying to pick them up and throw them back. <laughs> I want to be the good pastor that stands up here and goes, oh, Jesus, that would be me. Forgive them of their sin. I'm going to be like, no, take them with me. I go, you go. <laughs> Stephen looks at them and says, Father, don't hold this against them. You want to know how to make a difference in this world? Don't hold people's sins against them and watch them, their whole mind get blown. I know you talked bad about me. I already forgave you. What? I know what you're saying about my kid okay we know the truth God loves you I'm telling you you want to do things that are radically different do things that the, the culture has no idea how to respond to pray for them love them show them God's kindness you will see a crowd of people completely be changed because of that will you pray with me God, this is not one of those messages that you get like super excited about because, oh, it's, I'm telling you that faith is in the hardest moments of our life. But God, I believe that the growing moments, these moments where we lean into you, God, if we would just listen to you a little bit more, if we would read your word just a little bit more, 
if we would lean into worship a little bit more, and God, if we would ask Holy Spirit for you to come and make a difference in our heart, I believe that we would see things and believe things and, and live out ways that we could never dream or imagine. So I proclaim that over our people today. Jesus, have your way. And tomorrow when we wake up, we choose you. We choose your ways. God, that other people's opinion, they don't matter. My own opinion, it, it matters very little. And God, your word matters most. It is the priority of my life. It is what I set the foundation of my life on. Jesus, have your way. Build in us faith that will not bow down to those that demand us to live a different way. God, build in us faith that stands firm and knows goodness, but also does it in a grace-filled and loving way to the world around us. Because though they, we, we may not bend to the cultural norms, that God, we also won't do it in a way that hurts your witness. Father, build in us faith that worships you through the worry, through the fear, through the hurt, and through the circumstance. We may live out in front of this world and they may see your goodness and they may proclaim your God. We love you, Jesus. I pray a week filled of opportunities, a week filled of options where they will choose you and they will not bow and they will live a life that glorifies you, Father. We love you. We thank you. We, we pray that this week be blessed. We would be a blessing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. 